In this season of thanksgiving and remembrance, O oh God, we give you thanks for every good gift. And we remember in a special way our brother and our friend, Chris Mould, prayer candle reminds us of our calling to love one another in the spirit with which Chris loved the world. And we continue to pray for those who mourn his death, and we continue to give thanks for all that his life means in our community. We lift up now all those who mourn and grieve that they might find comfort. And we ask you now to silence in us any voice but your own gracious God, that that same comforting word might dwell with our spirits as we gather here. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our Gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, beginning at the fifth verse of the 21st chapter. Let us hear God's word. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go near them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you, and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I titled this morning's sermon some weeks ago, I knew that it would be happening on the Sunday following this presidential election. 
Nonetheless, I did not mean to imply that the future would be tense. It may be, but that's not my message. My intention was to remind us, today through the vision of the prophet Isaiah and the words of Jesus about days to come, that God is a God of forward movement, of making things new, of renewal, of reformation and transformation. God is rarely satisfied with how things are and is always reminding us of what might be. My mother taught grammar. Future tense is a verb tense that leads us forward, that points to the future. So that anything I say this morning about the lection is said with some trepidation and hesitance. It will be political because as Presbyterians we care about the body politic what happens in the world beyond these four walls as well as what happens within them. Political, yes. Pastoral, I hope. Maybe even a little prophetic. But I hope not partisan. What I said several weeks ago is something I believe firmly with our theological forebears, that God alone is Lord of the conscience, anyone, let alone me, telling you how to vote is presumptive. As is failing to remember the breadth of diversity on many things that resides in this congregation. So allow me to apologize in advance if my efforts at differentiation fail, or if I slide into unintended partisanship. Now, I would have said something today no matter what, because the nature of this campaign and what this election exposed about the deep divisions, not only in political perspective, but existential reality, demands a faith response. So because the rhetoric was so severe and the outcome such a surprise, welcome to some, unwelcome to others, Perhaps just a word that might serve as an invitation to deeper and sustained conversation about our communal response. So in fact, yes, future tense about a future that might be tense. We are reminded in the book of Deuteronomy to love God with heart and with soul and with mind. To love God with heart now is to be pastoral, lowercase pastoral. To seek to be compassionate and caring for those responding so profoundly. To provide safe space. To listen. To listen to children, to women, to racial minorities and religious minorities and sexual minorities, to take fear seriously, 
to comfort when comfort is needed as long as that does not dismiss real concern and anxiety. It will be all right because God is God. But that word can ring hollow if it is not accompanied by other words and other actions. These past months produced wounds And one of our chief tasks is to bind up the wounded, to be God's healing presence wherever healing is needed. To love God with soul now is to claim the values and vision of our faith. Next year, Third Church will mark its 190th anniversary. On our agenda for nearly two centuries has been the anti-slavery movement, anti-war efforts, women's rights, civil rights, LGBTQ rights, educational reform, efforts at alleviating poverty. Let's not forget that history because it is our future. And those faith commitments remain regardless of who resides in the White House or who presides at City Hall or even church policy. We live our faith in season and out of season. Words like justice and righteousness and peace and love and this year reconciliation always have a context and are never easy. Unity is a faith value as well, and a civic one, but it must be authentic unity with integrity and is different than uniformity. Our forebear John Calvin insisted that we pray for and support the magistrate, any magistrate, and at the same time to make that magistrate accountable. And that remains our calling. To love God with mind now is to move beyond the easy headline and to think. To think deeply about the why of this election. Not to dismiss out of hand someone who voted in a way you didn't. Not to paint with a broad brush a whole category of people not to impugn or malign, but to understand, to move beyond the easy divisiveness of any one of our typical Facebook feeds, and to think more deeply about the root causes of what got us where we are, and to address them intelligently as well as compassionately, to be supportive when support is called for Be vigilant and resistant when vigilance and resistance is called for. Love God with heart, soul, and mind. It is a complex, paradoxical dance. Our faith is forward-looking, 
but it is often fueled by resources from the past, tradition, not traditionalism. Our brief statement of faith, not so old, written in the 1980s, reminds us of our calling. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In our Confession of 1967, written in the extraordinarily turbulent 1960s, turbulent in church and in culture, sets all of this in proper context. With an urgency born of this hope, the church applies itself to present tasks and strives for a better world. It does not identify limited progress with the kingdom of God on earth, nor does it despair in the face of disappointment and defeat. In steadfast hope, the church looks beyond all partial achievement to the final triumph of God. If I have veered into partisanship, I apologize. I would have planned to say something regardless of the outcome of this past Tuesday. But it was a particular outcome in a particular context and has impacted people I care about, including the women in my life, including many of you in very particular ways. In our tradition, a sanctuary is not intended to protect us from the world, nor does faith function as insulation or inoculation. Rather, a sanctuary is a place where we come, at times to be comforted, at times to be provoked, but always to be fortified so that we may live faithfully in the world. We gather in order to be dispersed, and that was true on November 7th and November 8th and November 9th. It is true on November 13th and will be true every day. As I said, the sermon title was chosen weeks ago. The lectionary passages from Isaiah and Luke were chosen decades ago by a committee of all things. And on this occasion, perhaps with an ever-present sense of the future, the committee got it right. The crowd asks Jesus about the future, and he is stark, if not downright harsh. Look around, you see this temple, it will fall. Wars and other horrific things will happen, he says. Do not be terrified. You may even suffer for your faith, a prospect we in the U.S. rarely encounter, but even in the face of that, he says, I will be with you. My wisdom will be with you. So right now, might we seek and count on and rely on that presence 
that wisdom now, when our own wisdom seems so thin. And then Jesus tells us, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Persist in hope, he says, not to smooth over hardship or erase fear, but to contextualize them within the confines of God's providence. All of which echoes Isaiah's articulation of God's vision, which Christie read and is worth rehearsing today and always. New heavens, new earth. The former things shall not be remembered. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. Again, that is not empty piety or hollow comfort. It is not a pious platitude, but it is God's steadfast promise, the promise to which we cling today. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Reinhold Niebuhr was a pastor, a theological ethicist, a cultural commentator, most most prominent in the U.S. coming out of World War II and in the Cold War era. Niebuhr singularly understood our capacity for doing good and almost paradoxically, our capacity for sin, both as people of faith and as citizens. In the middle of the Cold War, Niebuhr wrote this, nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act, Niebuhr wrote, is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness, hope, faith, love, forgiveness. Timeless values and gifts of faith to be applied now for such a time as this and in every future moment In the name of God, who makes all things new. Amen.
us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we praise you for your unfailing love. We remember your acts of salvation on behalf of your people throughout history. And we cling to the assurance of what you have done before as a foretaste of what you will do again. And so we hold fast to your promises of life. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to care, and the strength to work toward your beloved kingdom of grace and mercy. For our illusions of a united nation are shattered. We are a people more broken than we want to admit. We pray for all who have been elected and for all who will serve in the new administration. And we pray that every decision, every policy, every action, every word spoken will be one born of justice and fairness, of humility and concern for the ones whose society has forgotten, left behind, and oppressed. Help all of us to do the hard, hard work of seeing that which we have ignored, of hearing the cries of silent desperation, of speaking out with prophetic voices on behalf of every injustice that does violence, of reaching out and touching even our enemies. Protect and uphold those who live in fear. Silence the rhetoric of hatred that gives rise to more hatred. Show us how to overcome every prejudice that demeans your beloved children. Give hope, O oh God, to our daughters and sons. And grant a spirit of gentleness with ourselves as we seek to heal and recover from our own woundedness. And let us be repairers of the breach in our families, in our communities, around our nation, and in the world. This day we give thanks for those who have sacrificed to protect and serve our country, and who carry scars both seen and unseen. And is, even as we seek wholeness for our beloved homeland, we also seek peace and wholeness in every country around the world. For those who are experiencing profound grief from death and loss this day, wipe their tears. For those who are in their final days on this earth, grant peace. Heal the ones who are ill in body, mind, or spirit. Restore this earth and its climate to health and life. And in all these things, renew your church to be who you have called us to be, a light to the world, 
a bulb to the wounded, hope to the hopeless, agents of justice, and bearers of your kingdom. We pray fervently for the needs we have voiced aloud, for the silent pleas of our hearts, and on behalf of all who cannot pray themselves. We pray in the name of Jesus, who makes us one, and who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> 